Good morning. <clears throat> Take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to the book of Proverbs. As Pastor Aaron alluded to, um, of course, you guys know we talked a little bit last week about how last weekend and the last part of last week, there was an uh, extended ministry team uh, that worked. You take those for me? No, no, just say there you go. Thank you. That worked uh, together to establish some vision and values for Dale Bible Church. And um, what we want to do over the course of the next about 10 weeks, 8 to 10 weeks, is kind of unveil this. And, and we want to share the vision that this extended uh, ministry team came up with, as well as the values, um, as, as we believe that they're going to be integral into uh, Dale Bible Church continuing to move forward and, and continuing to be um, unified in terms of what we exist to do in a specific sense instead of just in a general sense. And, um, and so we're very excited. And so this morning, before we actually will get into the specifics of our vision for Dale Bible Church, uh, I just want to talk about, as you see on the screen before you, the importance of a vision, the necessity of a vision, not only for individual believers, but also for individual bodies. And then ultimately, you can extrapolate this out to the universal church as a whole, right? If we wander around aimlessly, um, then that's, it's, it's not going to produce um, the desires of God. And I think everybody's in agreement that we want to see God glorified. And so as we look into his word, one of the things that we are able to establish is that God's desire is that his people would function with purpose. That it wouldn't be aimless, that it wouldn't be happenstance, that it would be purposeful, and that it would be intentional. And so as we begin this conversation about vision, I want to turn our attention to the book of Proverbs. You see that on the screen there before you. We'll look at, we're just going to look at one verse in Proverbs 29 together in just a few moments. But I want to first just say a little bit by way of the book of Proverbs. This book exists ultimately when you read through it, understand, uh, to, so that we might understand that it would exist to give practical wisdom for living a godly life. In and of ourselves, we do not have the capacity to live a life that glorifies God. And so God in his grace and in his mercy, he's given us his Holy Spirit to guide us, and he's given us his word as well that we might know him, that we might know his heart, that we might understand his expectations. And so as we want to strive to live a godly life, we look into the book of Proverbs and we find that most of the book is just simply a contrast between wisdom and foolishness. And lots of times we see varying words for foolishness. One of them is folly. But we're talking about the difference between wisdom and folly or foolishness. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, you know that there's been a handful of authors who are recorded as penning what we know as the book of Proverbs. But most of them are attributed to King Solomon, the son of King David. <clears throat> the tone, excuse me, the book of Proverbs is set very early on. A verse that many of us are probably familiar with, Proverbs 1-7, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So see, again, right away, what we just alluded to, we start to see this contrast between wisdom and foolishness. 
So there's a number of things that we want to take note of in this introductory verse to the book of Proverbs. First, without fearing the Lord, you can have zero knowledge of spiritual things. This is not my opinion. This is not my idea. Solomon writes for us in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. The word beginning there means starting point. Okay? It's just like a race. There's a starting point to a race, and anything that you do up to that starting point prior to that race does not count for the race. What The distance that you run is only measured by the starting point forward. And we can have zero knowledge. Knowledge comes from God and his word. We can have zero knowledge of spiritual things without a fear of the Lord. And so you may be asking, well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Like when I hear the word fear, I think of like maybe I'm intimidated or, or maybe I'm scared. But in this context, biblical context here, as Solomon would use it, fear, it, it simply means to recognize the character of God And in recognizing his character, you respond in reverence, trust, worship, obedience, and service to him. So you can have no knowledge of spiritual things until you first recognize the character of God. Chiefly, that he is God and we are not. He is holy, he is perfect, we are not. We are desperately in need of his grace and his mercy that he freely gives. You can have zero knowledge of spiritual things until you begin to understand this. So to fear the Lord, again, is to recognize his character and to then respond. It's not enough for me to recognize that Jenna is my wife. I have to respond to her as such. I deal with her in a, in a loving, in a, in a gentle way because of an understanding of who she is. And with God, we understand who he is, his character, what he's like, all these things. And we respond to that biblically. Again, in reverence, with an adoration of the fact that he is holy and I am not. With a, a trusting disposition that once again says, he is holy, he is sovereign, he's in control. I'm not, I can trust him. We worship. Contrary to many popular belief, worship is not defined by the songs we sing before the loudmouth guy talks. Worship is a disposition of our lives. It is a position of posture whereby, once again, we are recognizing the infitude, the perfection, the magnificence of a holy, just, righteous God. And we live in light of that. And that looks like obedience and service to him. So if there is to be any spiritual understanding, which just in case you were wondering, anything worth knowing is considered spiritual understanding. If there's any spiritual understanding to be had, it begins with a fear of the Lord. And because all matters that matter are ultimately spiritual in nature, knowledge of spiritual things is vital to your life and to mine. But we cannot have that knowledge of spiritual things without a fear of the Lord. And so, just knowing a few things about God 
Maybe even knowing a few things about God's word is not the same thing as having a fear of the Lord. I mean, I, I know who the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines is, but I don't know Jim Harbaugh. It's very easy to understand. I can know some things about God's word, but that does not mean that I know the God of the word. When a person fears the Lord, they begin to gain this knowledge and understanding of, of spiritual things. When they, when they truly and, and, and intimately begin to understand and know what it means to know God, not know things about God. And just as quick as Solomon introduces us to the beginning of knowledge, he contrasts the one who fears the Lord with what? A fool. That is to say, the one who doesn't fear the Lord. The one who despises wisdom and instruction that only comes from God, because all true wisdom is is from God, this is the fool. The one who despises the wisdom and instruction that comes from God. And the book of Proverbs is considered wisdom literature. That's how we often regard it. And there, honestly, I would submit to you, is not a better description for what is found within the pages of the Proverbs than wisdom. As the reader works through the pages of the Proverbs, when they come near to the end of the book, they're introduced once again to some more Proverbs from King Solomon. Again, he didn't write all of the Proverbs. He wrote some at the beginning, and then there's a break, and then and we get to verse 25, we pick up, there's, or chapter 25 rather, there's some more uh, Proverbs of Solomon. And in the midst of those Proverbs, towards the end of the book, we find a proverb that we ultimately might be familiar with. If we've been around church for very long, we've, we've probably heard um, this proverb. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Sam, will you click on proclaim? There we go. Thank you. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, you may be thinking, I don't know that I know that one. That doesn't sound as familiar as you said it would be. And some of you may be ahead of me, right? Because you might have a translation this morning that renders it the way that most of us are probably used to hearing it. Proverbs 29, 18 in the King James says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Many of us are probably more familiar with that rendering of Proverbs 29, 18. I would submit to you this morning, it's not just an attempt to bag on the King James But the ESV, as we read, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law, is a much more accurate rendering of what Solomon is intending in what we call Proverbs 29, 18. The word vision here does not mean a plan. It does not mean if you don't have a plan, well, then the people are going to die. That's not what Solomon is is saying at all. Really, the word vision, what it means here is, is revelation such as that which a prophet would have received and delivered to the people, okay? When I, that wasn't like pointing to myself as a prophet. I need to clarify that, right? This is, but this is what Solomon's talking about. Revelation is, this is the word for vision. And so the wisdom that Solomon is dropping is that the people do not have revelation, and when the people don't have revelation, they're going to cast off restraint. Again, that's what the ESV says. And the idea of casting off restraint means to run wild, When the people don't have the word of the Lord, they're going to run wild. That's what Proverbs 29, 18, the first part of it, means. 
And it's interesting to note that Solomon contrasts those who run wild with what? Those who keep the law of God. And this is an easy thing I would submit for us to understand today in that there are only two options when it comes to the revelation of God. Again, his revelation is right here, okay? When I say revelation, I don't mean anything fanciful, right? We're not looking for people to tell us. We're not hearing visions. We're not, this is the revelation of God right here. Just about every one of you has one of these in your hand this morning. This is the revelation of God, okay? We need to clarify that right out the gate. And there is no other options when it comes to the revelation of God and we interact with it. We obey it and we're blessed by what it says or we disregard it and our lives will be chaos. I'm going to flat out tell you right now, you may be thinking, well, Pastor, that's a, that's a bold statement to make that if we disregard God's word, our lives will be chaos. Show me a professing believer who has disregard for God's word whose life isn't chaos. If you can do that, it will be the first one I've ever seen. And I'm not saying that because I have it all figured out. I'm saying it because God has it all figured out and his word is clear. If you know his word and you obey it, you'll be blessed. If you don't, your life's going to be chaos. That's the bottom line, right? Now, again, as I've alluded to, we start talking about this idea of a vision and it means <coughs> revelation that, you know, that would come from a prophet. I am not equating myself with a prophet. I'm not a prophet, okay? I've simply been called by God to open this, to work through it, to understand it, and to help you understand it. To proclaim the excellencies of God's word and say, thus says the Lord. I hope when you come here, you don't care about what I think. Because being here is not about what I think. It's about what God has revealed in his word. And if you're at church for anything other than an understanding or to have a growing understanding of what God has revealed in his word... I mean, that has to be first. There's other benefits to belonging to a body. But that's the chief end, okay? And so I'm not standing before you as somebody who has special information. I don't have special insight. I'm just one beggar pointing other beggars to the bread. So we look into God's word together. Not a prophet, but rather someone who's just telling you in these last days, God has spoken, not in the ways that he did in prophets of old, But the book of Hebrews tells us that he's spoken how through his son, who is the perfect imprint of his father's nature. The son is how the father speaks to his people today. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is Jesus. This is how God speaks to people today. I cannot stress that enough. God does not speak to us through our experiences. Does he use them in combination with the truths of his words to guide us and to teach us? Absolutely. But if you believe that your experiences are the arbiter of truth, you have a faulty understanding of God's word and the purpose of it. Our experiences are not the barometer of truth. Our opinions, other people's ideas, none of these things are the barometer of truth. God's word is the barometer of truth. And God's method of prophetic vision for his church, that is us, is his word. Okay? We have to understand that. We have to know this going into it. If there's going to be any order and any blessing in our churches today, then they must function less like the people of God in the book of Judges, where everyone does what's right in their own eyes, and more like faithful servants who fear the Lord, desiring his blessing and serving him wholeheartedly. with me? 
If we desire to experience order and blessing in our churches today, then we must function less like the people of God in the book of Judges, where everyone does what is right in their own eyes, and more like faithful servants who fear the Lord, desire his blessing, and serve him wholeheartedly. And these are two totally different things. And all of this, Proverbs 29, 18, prophetic vision, revelation, that is God's word. People running wild or people living in obedience to God's word brings us to our work last week with the Institute of Biblical Leadership. And part of what they've done in working with us is, has helped us here at Dale Bible Church to better understand what vision provided by God looks like and then how to develop a vision for Dale Bible Church. And one of the things that they submitted to us, and, this, and we all agreed with this so heartedly, <clears throat> was that in order for a vision statement of a local church to be in step with what God would desire for the church, there's a few elements that must be present in a vision statement. Number one, a vision that would honor God must include the great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, being Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Not only must it have the great commandment, but it must also include the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So a vision that is going to glorify God is going to include the great commandment, love God, love people, the great commission, make disciples, and ultimately what those things are going to do is glorify God. So a vision's got to have all three of these components. Great commandment, great commission, and it must glorify God. And in order to glorify God, then we must fear God. And remember, to fear God is to have reverence for him. It's to worship him. It's to obey him. It's to trust him. It's to serve him out of a recognition of his character, simply who he is. And so when you put these things together, what you wind up with is a clear, what we wound up with, is a clear and concise declaration of who we desire to become. A vision is not a reflection of where we are today. So the vision ultimately doesn't have anything to do with where we are today. A a, a vision is not an indictment of where we are today. A vision is, this is where we want to be in five years. And without vision, okay, this is where the the King James rendering is actually pretty good. Without vision, the people perish. We're left to ourselves without a clear and a concise vision. And so what we're understanding is that this vision, it's not a reflection of who we are today. It's It's a picture. It's a desire of where we want to be and how it is that we want to meet the desires of God in the future as we move forward. And so I want to share a few principles from Proverbs 29, 18, to help keep DBC in line with God's desires as we seek and strive to carry out the vision and values 
that the extended ministry team worked together to come up with last week. Just a few principles that we'll see right here from just one verse in Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Principle number one. God's word must remain the, pri- the guiding priority in all things. If DBC is going to carry out a vision that honors and glorifies the Lord, then it must always be subject to the word of God, period. It's always subject to the word of God because where there is no prophetic vision, and again, we've already established, we're not talking about prophets speaking on behalf of God. We're talking about God has spoken through Jesus, his word, and it must remain the priority of everything that we do. It must be what guides us in every decision that we make. Nothing else. At the end of the day, the local church, the body that assembles together to carry out the great commandment, to carry out the great commission, and to glorify God through the things that it does, it's not about us. It's not about our opinions. It's not about our ideas. It's not about our likes. It's not about our dislikes. It's about what the word of God says that the local church is to do and how it is that they're to function. And so we see this reality of the first principle, God's word must remain the guiding priority in all things. I want you to understand, as we've alluded to, anytime a professing follower of Christ deviates from God's word, the consequences are extreme. They're catastrophic. God is abundantly clear that his word is necessary for mankind to live a life that brings him glory. We can't live for God's glory apart from God's word. It's not possible because it's not within us. And it isn't just the Proverbs that teach us that wisdom is from God and necessary and that we find it in his word. Paul, in the book of Romans, he's writing, talking about those who claim to be wise really became fools. Why? Because they rested on their own understanding. Peter would draw a strong distinction between what honors God in our lives and what does not honor God that was present in our former lives when he would exhort believers not to be conformed to the passions of their former ignorance or their former unbelief. And so there's a distinction, right, between living according to what God has declared and what we think or what we want or what we like or what we don't like or ideas, our opinions, anything. The only two things that can guide a body of believers in their quest to honor God are God's word. I said there's only two, there's only one. The only thing that can guide a body of believers in their quest to honor God are God's word. We don't have a say in the matter. Yes, we have a say sometimes in how things are carried out. But we don't have a say in what glorifies God and what does not. His word has declared that for us. As we've noted, we think about God's word must be the, pri- the guiding priority. As we've noted, if we live in a situation similar to that of judges, where we just do what we think is right, then the result will be what? Chaos, <clears throat> excuse me, and then ultimately judgment. If you were here last week, and Dave Dietz went through Revelation 2, And he talked about the church in Ephesus that lived, it literally lived in the epicenter of immorality and ungodliness. And they did all of these things right. 
But there was a great indictment against the church in Ephesus. And that indictment was that they'd walked away from their first love. They cared more about the rituals and the things. And Dave said last week, it's not about programs. It's not about processes. And the church at Ephesus was more concerned with all of those things than they were their first love, Jesus. And if you want to imagine what kind of catastrophic consequences there can be for a ministry that works according to its own ideas and its own right and does what's right in its own eyes, Jesus, through John, told the church at Ephesus, I will take away your lampstand. I will take away your ability to exist as the church in Ephesus and be a light in the darkness. Guys, this is no joke. The Lord Jesus Christ is serious. And, and the, only, the only reasonable expectation is that we would function according to the word of God and that we would be guided by his word in all things. And so the church today, all local churches, including Dale Bible Church, must be humble enough to submit to the word of God, even if it's different even if it's not what we would desire, even if it's not how uh, we would do it, maybe if it's not what we've done, maybe it's not what we like, maybe it's not our preference. But there's a level of humility that's required to submit to what God's word says because all of God's word is given for the benefit of God's people, not just some of it. And so we're always taking God's word as a, as a whole, Right? And so if all of God's word is given for the benefit of his people, it could it include being given so that we could know him, so that we could know his desires, so that we could grow in godliness, so we could be obedient. All of God's word is for the purpose of going before us to light our path and to guide our steps. The Bible is literally central to the Christian life. And I'm just going to flat out tell you, far too many churches and Christians are trying to live the Christian life without this. Their extent of engagement with this is when they come to a church and they hear somebody talk about it. They don't read it. They don't memorize it. They don't know it. They have no understanding of it. And then we step back and we say, well, I don't understand why my life's a mess. I don't understand why nothing's going the way that we want it to go or we think it should go because God has given his word to guide us and when we neglect, it's just like our kids. Man, why do we parent our kids so that they will know right from wrong, so that they would do the things that are, are for the best for them, right? Why do we all teach our kids, don't touch a hot stove because we don't want them to get burned. And the problem when our kids usually get burned by the stove is not that we didn't tell them, it's that they didn't listen. And brothers and sisters, I want to level with you this morning. Many of the problems that we experience in our lives, it's not because God's unfaithful, it's because we're not listening. God's word is central to the life of the Christian and the church. And I want to try to drive this home with an illustration. You know I had to go there because college football week one kicked off yesterday. And in the game of football, y'all know I love sports. I love football. In the game of football, there is no game without the ball. And you're like, well, yeah, duh. That applies to every game. Yes, that's true. But I want you to understand something. Players can put on the gear. They can wear the helmets. They can walk in the cleats. But there is no game without the pigskin. Nothing really matters much in football if you don't have the ball. Here's why. 
Because if you think about it, that little piece of pigskin, if you didn't know that's what a football is made out of, leather, it's pigskin, it controls just about everything in the game of football. A touchdown is only a touchdown when it's measured by where the ball is. A first down is only a first down when it's measured by where the ball is. You're onside or offside in relationship to the ball. Now, if you're thinking, I don't know anything about football, just trust me. Nobody's ever said that with good intentions, have they? Just trust me. But as we're talking about football, you can, you can just trust me. It's not a big deal. Everything in the game of football hinges upon the centrality of the ball. Everything. Everything has to do with the ball. You can have a lot of stuff right, but if there is no football, you've wasted your Saturday or Sunday afternoon or your Friday night in our context. And this is true of God's word in relationship to our lives. We must recognize that it is central to who we are. It is, whether we recognize it or not. But if you want to be blessed, the Proverbs tell us, right? Blessed is he who keeps the law. If you don't know the law, you can't keep it. The word of God has to be central to our lives if we are to know how to function and if we are going to do things God's way in a way that pleases him. Otherwise, like the church at Ephesus, we can go through all the motions. We can do a lot of things that seem right, and they won't matter. They'll be to no avail. Number two, people left to themselves will always experience chaos. The second, second part of Proverbs 29 here, right? He says, when there is no vision, so when the word of God is not understood and lived out, the people cast off restraint. Again, we see the writer of the Proverbs, again in this case Solomon, making known there are only two ways to live life, in wisdom or in foolishness. As we've noted, a good rendering of casting off restraint is that of running wild. Nothing good comes from running wild. Just think in your own life of the instances in which you've talked about somebody running wild. I'm going to use the football metaphor again. I'm from Michigan, so I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I know. Um, But the Detroit Lions, year in and year out, cannot stop the run. And what I mean by that is the other team just says, hike, gives it to the guy behind them, and they run until they can't run anymore. Year after year, they're one of the worst in the league. And any time my dad and I will have the opportunity to talk about the Detroit Lions after a game, we usually say something like, man, that running back ran wild. It's not a good thing. I guess you could say you're a fan of the running back. It was a good thing. But apply it to our kids. Again, our kids run wild. Is that a good thing? Our kids have casted off restraint. That is the leadership and guiding principles that their parents have taught them or have given to them. And their their kids cast off that restraint and and run wild. Instead of functioning under the, 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 the vision or the revelation of God's word, we often do the same thing. We live our lives with no form of restraint. When our lives are not ordered by God's word, we're running wild and we're doing what is right in our own eyes according to ourselves. And listen to the words of Proverbs 14, 12. If you don't think running wild or living according to what you think is right is dangerous, listen to the words of Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. 
I want to run according to my own understanding. No, I don't. No, I don't. Because my own understanding leads to death. And that doesn't just mean physical death, although it can. But it can lead to the death of of our relationships. It can lead to the death of our businesses. It can lead to the death, as we saw last week in Revelation, the death of our churches. When we run according to what we believe is right, the the, the consequences are catastrophic. The results are not good. And so hearing Proverbs 14, 12, I would hope would grab our attention as we think about living our lives with or without vision or a plan. This is why we want to have a plan. This is why we do want to have a vision. Now, we're not using vision in the same word that is rendered here as we looked at, but there is a reality. We want to have a vision. We want to have a plan because if we're just running around according to our own ways, it's not good. We can't just function as what we think is correct or right. The end will be disaster. Differing values, ideas, and opinions. I mean, just think, one of the things we talked about, and we'll get into this in the course of the next few weeks, is every single person sitting in this room has values. I don't know if you knew it or not. You have things that you value, that are, that are valuable to you. They drive who you are and what you do. And oftentimes, those values are good. And it's great that you have those values. But I want to ask you a question. Is there a difference between personal values and organizational values? Well, yes. And here's a simple application of why there has to be. Because look in a room this size and look at all of the people represented here, which means there's a ton of different values represented here as well. And if we make decisions according to just one or two or a few, a handful of individual values at the expense of, of clear and concise organizational values, what happens? Well, chaos, that's what, the, that's what the writer of Proverbs tells us, what Solomon tells us. So you have personal values, and what was really neat, and again, we'll get into some of this when we talk about values, what was really neat was to see how when we worked with IBL, the, the, the extended uh, ministry team that was a part of this process, they filled out some paperwork ahead of time about their values, and then what was important to them, and then what was important in an organizational sense, and then they were able to work through those with us, and it was amazing to see how there were four primary values that represented the organization based upon the input of the ministry, extended ministry team that was there. And so from that, we went from filtering all of the extended personal values of the ministry team to here are organizational values. And we'll talk more about it, but it was really, really neat. And so if we try to function as an organization in light of a bunch of individual values or ideas, the result will be catastrophe. Studies, or my studies, actually rendered something that I found very interesting about this phrase, casting off restraint. We see this idea of casting off restraint, or as we've seen, running wild. There's actually another rendering or understanding. It's not as popular, but it does kind of fit the context. It reads like this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people are discouraged. I mean, think about it, right? you imagine living in a community of people where everybody's just doing what's right in their own eyes? Not only is it going to be chaos, but it's going to be discouragement because we're trying to get here and somebody thinks we're trying to get there and somebody thinks we're trying to get here and everybody's just kind of floating around. 
And so with a vision, as we strive to establish a vision that honors God, it's streamlining and bringing these things into focus. That's why we utilize an extended ministry team. That's why it wasn't just the six members of the the leadership team. Because I don't know anybody that wants to live in discouragement and chaos. I know I don't. God's word is clear that if we don't adhere to God's word for the establishment of vision, not only will our lives be chaos and discouraging, but more importantly, we can't honor him. Not in our personal lives and not as an organization. And I know I've alluded to this already, but when I think about people being left to themselves, always experiencing consequences, I can think of no better illustration than the book of Judges. Over and over and over, when we read through the book of Judges, what do we see? We see a constant cycle of people who got a prophetic vision from the Lord. They were judged because they failed to adhere it. They got judged, then they repented, then God restored them, then then they fell into sin, and a prophet came, they ignored him, God judged him, and they did it over and over and over and over. And all through the book of Judges, this cycle that the, the, that the Israelite people lived in in the book of Judges was defined by this phrase. The people did what was right in their own eyes. And the result was catastrophe over and over and over. The great indictment of the people was that they did what was right in their own eyes. So as we've said, churches today, man, we have to function. We have to function more like those who follow God in obedience than those who do what is right in their own eyes. Third principle this morning and lastly, God blesses those who keep his word. I mean, these are profound, aren't they? (laughs) Right? Like God's word has to be the priority, right? If we neglect God's word, there's going to be chaos. And if we honor and obey God's word, there's going to be blessing. It's pretty simple. The contrast of living in chaos or without restraint is living according to God's word. Order and purpose come from living out God's word in obedience. And this is exactly what Solomon tells us here. And Jesus reinforces this idea, and so does the half-brother of Jesus, James, in the New Testament. Jesus said, blessed is the man who hears these words of mine. That's where the verse stops, right? Nope. Nope. Jesus says, blessed is the man who hears the words of these words of mine and does them. Blessing comes from obedience. James likens the one who hears God's word and fails to obey it to the man who looks in the mirror, sees the issues, sees the blemishes, and then walks away forgetting or pretending that the disorder doesn't exist. I got three daughters, man, my oldest just turned 10. So I imagine it won't be too long when she will be, well, it's probably more the middle one, uh, who will be overwhelmed by the presence of a zit. And when she establishes that zit by looking in the mirror, I will bet you whatever you want, Jilliana Rianne Halder will not say, ha oh, look at that, I'm out. Jilly will obsess over that blemish until it's gone. Now we could talk about why that may not be healthy, but the, the picture, the illustration is clear. When we look into the mirror and it reveals blemishes, it's foolish to walk away and not deal with them. Maybe not a zit, but imagine if you had a cut. And you look in the mirror and you see that cut and you think, man, this cut needs stitches. All right, I'm going to go out in the backyard and swing. That would be foolish. 
You're going to have a lot of complications from not dealing with the, the cut that needed stitches. And this is how James likens the one who hears the word but doesn't adhere to the word. He looks in the mirror and disregards what he sees. Forgetting or pretending that the dysfunction or the cut is not there. Just very simply, when God's people live according to God's word, that is the prophetic vision of this right here. Establishing how they will walk with God, he will bless it. Marquise de, La, de Lafayette was a French officer who provided invaluable assistance to George Washington and the struggling American army. After the war was over, he returned to France and resumed his life as a farmer of his many estates. In 1783, the harvest was a terrible one, and there were many who suffered as a result. Lafayette's farms were unaffected by the devastating crop failures, and one of his workers offered what seemed to be good advice to Lafayette. The bad harvest has raised the price of wheat. This is the time to sell. And after thinking about the hungry peasants in the surrounding villages, Lafayette disagreed and said, no, this is the time to give. God blesses those who live for his glory according to his word, but not so that his blessings can be hoarded, so that his blessings can be shared. When God's people live out a vision for his glory, then he will bless those people, and those people then live extending those blessings to others. Vision that honors God includes the great commandment, love God and love others. It includes the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations, and it will bring God glory. May we strive to bring God glory through our lives, both individually and corporately.